One of the more enjoyable things in life is eating. I don't know if you're on the same page as I am, but everyone seems to love to eat, especially eat good food. When I turned 40, I went from my left brain to my right brain. What does that mean? Well, there's two sides of your brain. The left brain is more the mathematical side, the logical side, and the right brain is more the creative side. So when I turned 40, all of a sudden I said, ooh, kitchen, I think I'll cook. (laughs) And I just started wanting to cook. It was kind of strange, you know? I mean, when we grew up, it wasn't cool for guys to cook. It was, you know, it was the ladies in the kitchen. But now it's very trendy with the, you know, the cooking channel and the food channel. Men are really getting into it. It's kind of cool. I mean, the best chefs in the world are probably men. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, but they probably are men. (laughs) Not all. So I moved into this kind of creative side. I love it. I actually do. I think it's very relaxing, and, and we love it. In our family, we love gourmet food. Of course, that's dad's fault because that's the way I always was. And I don't know where that gene came from because my mom always said, I cook just very basic food. Where is this gourmet thing coming from you? But thank goodness I married a wife who cooks gourmet food. She's a fabulous cook. And now our our girls are all hooked. They're all messed up. (laughs) No, that's good. It's one of the finer things in life to sit down and enjoy a meal, right? Maybe you're sitting by the Seine River near the Eiffel Tower. Maybe you're just sitting in your backyard, but enjoying a meal. It's one of the great pleasures of life. That's why we're having flapjacks today. Eating brings people together. In the early church, this is what they did. They came together. They heard the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. They prayed. They fellowshiped. They had communion, the Lord's table. And they ate together on a regular basis. This was what they did. So eating was an important part of the early church. I mean, you do have to eat. (laughs) But it's a great way to bring people together, uh, to bring the fellowship of the Lord, Lord's people together. Now, today, in our text, the Lord tells Peter to arise, kill, and eat. Peter, get to eating. <laughs> Don't you love that? So God is saying to you today, eat. Eat of the Lord. Taste of the Lord, for he is good. God is good. We're to arise and eat. This was the word that came to Peter. Now, in this particular 10th chapter of the book of Acts, there's a big change that takes place. The gospel now is moving to the Gentile world. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the remotest part of the world. And today we know the gospel goes around the world via television, radio, satellite, internet. By the way, Kelly told me we are on nine countries of the world are listening to us or have made contact with us. I don't know all the list. Ask Kelly. She'll tell you. So we are going around the world. Isn't that amazing? Just this little bunch of people here. We're, we're speaking to the world. And that's what Jesus said. The gospel would go to the world. Praise God. But at this point, the gospel is turning from the, the, the Jewish community, which began in Jerusalem, and now it's going to the Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew today, then you're a what? You're a Gentile, right? So you're either one or the other. And the gospel went out to the Gentiles through the working of the Holy Spirit, but choosing the man called Peter. He's, he's the instrument of, of God. He's the vessel of God. So let's go back to verse number one, and, and we're still in chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. That's a cool name. A centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. I've never been there, but I've heard that Caesarea, it's on the coast right along the Mediterranean Sea, 30 miles north of Joppa, and we were talking about Joppa last week, this beautiful seaport city. 
The water is spectacular. The amazing thing, you know, people talk about Hawaii, and, but the Mediterranean is beautiful. You know, we were in Italy a few years ago. We went to Cinque Terre, the five villages. And I was just shocked how amazing that water is. I mean, it's beautiful. It's warm. There were little jellyfish. It was a little weird. But other than that, it was very, very nice. So picture a city by the water. And here's this man, Cornelius. And he is a centurion. So he's a, he's a Roman legionnaire. He commands over at least 100 men. He has command over 100 men. And in verse 2, the Bible says that he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This guy's an interesting guy. He doesn't know Jesus, but he fears God. You know, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And God has made himself known through the creation so that people are without excuse. Even if they haven't heard the gospel, still there's a recognition that God is the creator and that we are to honor him and worship him. Amen? So this man feared God, and not only did he fear God, and he prayed a lot, (laughs) he gave alms. He was a giver. If you want to be blessed in life, be a giver. Amen? The Bible says the generous soul is well watered. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For the measure you give, it will be given back. See? So it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he understood this biblical principle, and he was a giver. And he was giving charitable alms, money, to the poor. A good man, a devout man. See, God saw this man's heart. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone who he can strongly support, whose heart is sincere before him. If you have a sincere heart before God, he sees that heart. And he will use that heart, and he will use you for his purposes. And this man, Cornelius, got God's attention. Amen? Even though he wasn't a believer. It got God's attention so much that it brought the man called Peter to him. Praise God. God will get it to you if you're sincere. Right? He'll make a way when there may seem to be no way. God will make a way. He'll open a door. Then we read in verse 3 about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision. Now, the ninth hour would be about 3 p.m. You know, sometimes I'm humbled by these guys because these guys are really, a lot of the, these biblical people are really committed to prayer. Sometimes I think we, you know, we forget to pray. James says you have not because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you ask for the wrong motives. Oh, Lord, give me a BMW. Well, that's not so bad. I like BMWs. But the point is, we're to pray in accordance to God's word, right? And we are to pray continually. Pray always. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says, right? But don't we sometimes forget to pray? Oh, man, I forgot to pray. (laughs) And we're going to make a decision, maybe a big decision, and we don't pray. Or even a little decision, and we don't pray. And I always hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, you might want to pray on this one before you just (laughs) move on that. (laughs) Yes, Lord, I will do that. And we need to pray on all things in our life. God will give wisdom to those who ask in faith. Amen? I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. That was the scripture the Lord gave me when I went through a really tough time in my life. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I was going through a tormenting time in my life. And God said, I'm giving you my peace. And I'm leading you in the way of the upright. Amen? Just follow the Lord in your life. He'll open the door. He'll lead you. Amen? So he's praying. It's 3 p.m., devout man. 
Roman legionnaire. And clearly, in a vision, an angel of the Lord came and said to him, Cornelius, talk about freak out. First of all, let's talk about this vision thing. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Hold your place there in 10. You say, what is a vision? Well, we're going to take a look at it. This is Joel's prophecy coming from the book of Joel. Peter quoted it on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And tongues of fire rested upon them. And they spoke in tongues, magnifying, glorifying God. And then Peter began to preach. And he quotes Joel, right? And I told you, in a prophecy, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Double fulfillment many times in prophecies. This is the near fulfillment. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come to the church. The church would be birthed. Guess what? There's a far fulfillment. The Spirit's going to fall one more time. You've heard me preach this. God's going to pour out His Spirit once again in a mighty revival, move of His Spirit in the end times. And I believe we're right on the precipices of that happening. So the gospel will be preached even further throughout the world. And millions will come to faith in Christ. God loves people. He doesn't want to see people not be with Him. Amen? And so we need to preach the gospel. And people need to respond to the gospel. All right, Acts 2. Verse 17, it should come to pass in the last days, says, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I tend to dream more dreams than I see visions. <laughs> Guess that ages me. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Notice God is not selective. But he said, upon men and women, I will pour out my spirit. It's not just for the men. It's for men and women. Many women of the Lord have been used mightily in the things of God, just as equally as men have. Praise God. Don't you like that God doesn't show partiality amongst the sexes, but he allows all of us to move in the things of the spirit. And your young men shall see visions. Now, visions are interesting. It's mentioned quite frankly in the Bible, people that had visions. We know Ananias had a vision, and in that vision, he was told of the Lord to go, or a man would come to him named Paul, his name was Saul, and who would become Paul, and that he was to pray for him that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. But he saw it in a vision. So what is a vision? Well, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly, because the Bible doesn't define it exactly, but in the way I understand it, a vision is really seeing into the spiritual realm. So you're able to see out of this realm, this physical realm, into the spiritual realm. So it's like kind of seeing something in your mind's eyes. And it's possible that you've had a vision and maybe you didn't even know you had one, right? You saw something, God showed you something, you didn't know that that was a vision from the Lord, right? Sometimes we don't even understand that God is showing us things. And so in this particular vision, which was... Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. It was a little more dramatic. An angel came, and it freaked him out. And every time in the Bible, when, we, when, when an angel appears, people get, what? Afraid. Why is that? Because it's supernatural. And I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel, I'd freak out, wouldn't you? <laughs> Woo! What is that? You know, I'm, that, that, And that's the thing about the things of God in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. We don't understand that realm, and it can be a little bit alarming, and it can scare us sometimes. And it makes sense, because we're caught in this physical realm. And when you start seeing into the spiritual realm, it's a whole different world. And there are 
angelic beings in that realm and demonic beings in that realm. And this is the place where God dwells, in the spiritual realm, right? But when we come into his presence, we embrace that realm because there's peace and there's joy. Hallelujah. And so we ought not to fear that. But it's natural in the, in, in the human sense to fear that realm sometimes. But we can, be, we can fall in our Father's arms. Amen? We don't have to fear. We can come and receive the love of God. Praise God. Well, the angel spoke, and, and let's uh, read this here. And the angel of God came and said, Cornelius, verse 4, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. I've seen your giving. I've heard your prayers. And you're special in my sight, God is saying. So special that I'm going to send you a man. Now send men to Joppa, verse 5, and send for Simon, whose name is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. God, how specific is that? And he will tell you what you must do. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you know that God knows everything? <laughs> He's omniscient, all-knowing, all-ever-present, all-powerful, right? Omnipotent. He knows the specifics of your life and my life. He knows it all, right? And here he's, the Lord's getting very specific and saying, this is where I want you to go. Go to Joppa. There's a man there that you need to talk to, a special man, and he's going to come to you. And he's going to tell you about the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Amen? And sometimes God gets very specific in our life. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Heed the voice of the Lord. Amen? When God tells you to go somewhere, go. <laughs> If God tells you not to go somewhere, don't go. <laughs> Follow the leading of the Spirit. Praise God. Well, let's continue. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, verse 7, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Wow, this guy was pretty important. I mean, they were, he had servants. He had people waiting on him, right? But yet he was still a devout man. See, the point is, you could still be rich and wealthy as a Christian. Some people think that's a sin, you know, that, the, that when you come to Christ, you're supposed to be poor. But the Bible says he was made poor that we might be made what? Rich. God said he would establish his covenant with the Jewish people by giving them the power to gain wealth. That was the way, that was the demonstration of God's covenant with his people, their wealth. Now, the Jewish people, in many ways, wealth became their, their God, became their issue, became the, the focus. God never wanted it that way. He said, I'm going to bless you. And it's a covenant relationship, but your priority is with me right? So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest will be added. The rest. So he, he wants to bless us. God is in, in the, he's interested in blessing us. In fact, the Bible says God delights in the prosperity of his servant. So when his servants are prospering, he's delighting. Isn't that cool? Makes him happy. But our focus, once again, must be upon the Lord and his word. Verse 8, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, we already read our text in Joppa. We know that Peter is going up to pray. It's noon, verse 9. And this is so funny. He becomes hungry. Do you think that was just a coincidence? No. God made him extremely hungry. And it, got, it was so strong that he stopped praying. And he asked for food. And so the people, once again, were preparing. It sounds like they kind of served Peter too. And they were preparing food for him because he was so hungry. God understands our natural physical desires, right? He gave them to us. Uh, it's not wrong to be hungry. It's not wrong to eat. It's, it's wrong to overeat, you know, but it's not wrong to eat. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God has given 
to us. And the Bible says one day we'll sit at the Lord's table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I can only imagine the filet mignon that will come forth, the food that will be poured out. But in the meantime, arise and eat. That was the word that came to Peter, right? And, and, and so he fell into a trance. And here we go with this vision thing again. This, I think, is a little different than what Cornelius had. Trance, it sounds kind of spooky to me, you know. Here again, I'll try to explain this. I would think, I, 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 was, like, I was dreaming last night. I kept getting this open vision, open vision. I think that's what this is. So it's an open vision where your eyes are open and you're seeing these things, but you're not out of it. You're there, but you're not there. You're there, but not there. I like that. We are in the kingdom of God. We are in the heavenly realm, but we're also in the physical realm. So you're stepping into that spiritual realm, seeing something that nobody else could see. And experiencing something that nobody else could, could experience. And so Peter, this sheet comes down from heaven, right? And all of these creatures are on it. You know, kinds of delectable things that you can eat. And some are clean and some are unclean. You see, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Jews were forbidden to eat certain foods. Um, what, what comes to your mind, mainly? Pork, right? Love pork. Don't you love bacon, sausage? They were not allowed to eat of those. It was forbidden, unclean. And they observed certain ceremonial rites, rituals, and dietary commands. And they were devout in that. They followed it devoutly. Well, they were supposed to. And now the Lord is telling Peter, Peter, go ahead and eat. Eat of the clean foods and the unclean. Eat of it all. And Peter's going, no. Once again, God, he's so bold. Not so, Lord. <laughs> he had to get three times of this thing, right? It's interesting. He denied the Lord three times, and now this vision has to come three times to him. Arise, kill, and eat. Well, he's thick. He's just not getting it. You know, he's fighting it. We fight the things of the Spirit sometimes. You know? Religion is comfortable. Living under the law is comfortable. Just follow the rules and be a good boy. Okay? Do what you're supposed to do. Do this and don't do that. That's religion. Then there's the things of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Live in the life of grace, the new covenant, which is a far better covenant than the old one. That's why we say lighthouse, no religion, just life. We're not opposed to religion, but we really don't believe that Christianity is a religion. It's an experience. It's the experience of life, supernatural life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Grow in the grace of life, praise God. And that's what we preach, life, amen? I came that you might have life, Jesus said, to the fullest extent. I didn't come to bring religion. I came to bring life, spiritual life. Praise God. Well, I guess Peter got it. You know, the whole point of this arise, kill, and eat, it's a word for us because so many times, as I mentioned, we tend as believers to get kind of religious. We, we kind of fall back on that religious spirit. And we're to live in the life of grace and we're to continue in the things of the spirit and not under the, the guidance or the demands of the law. We are freed from that law. Isn't that great? It's like saying, okay, no speed limit, just take off. It's kind of like that, you know? The Autobahn, wouldn't that be fun? Dangerous, though. But, but anyway, the point is, we're not under that law. The law of do's and don'ts. We've been set free in the new covenant of grace. Let's go over very quickly to Galatians chapter 3. Oh boy, I get to teach on grace. Love it. I look for those opportunities because I got to tell you, a lot of the, there's a lot of elements or parts of the body of Christ that are still teaching law. They're still putting God's people under law, under bondage, 
under condemnation. And they're preaching them guilty. You ever been there? You know, where the preacher made you feel good and guilty? Guilt is a powerful motivator, but it'll never change you. Never. So you can feel guilty and, oh, I feel really guilty. I, I can't do that. I won't do that. I, but it won't ever really change your character on the inside, you see. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, not after the temporal things of this life, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit. Live in the law of the Spirit. The guidance of the Spirit. Amen? Walk in the new nature, Paul said. You have a new nature in you. You, you are supernatural because you're a new person in Christ. A new creation has been developed. We were watching the, the Belmont Stakes, the horse race. <laughs> Anybody see that? Kind of interesting. We kind of hoping for that California chrome, you know, come through. Uh, good boy. Come on, good boy. It's only been well, like 35 years. I don't know how long it's been since someone has done the triple crown, and he had a shot at it. I love those horses, although they say they're kind of ornery, like two-year-olds, but powerful animals. So everybody's eyes are on that California chrome, gate number two, right? He comes right out, gets out on the, on the rail. He's leading the pack, looking pretty good, but, but he's being hunted down pretty fast, and pretty soon he drops to like fourth place, and I think they run a mile and a half. They're halfway out. They're coming around, and chrome is not there. The jockey pulls him out to the far side. And this is the point where this boy runs, gets him out on the outside, and then he takes off. Something happened. He didn't go. He couldn't go. He was just pooped out. He was tired, I guess. These were all fresh horses. The deck was stacked. And that boy, that guy had run too much. You know, if you do too much in life, you get tired. And nobody likes to be fatigued. So sometimes we just need to rest, right? Just Take your time, go slowly. Do few things, but do them well. St. Francis of Sisi said that. Why don't we go slow in Laguna Niguel? You know my pet peeves, the way we drive around here. I say we, I don't really drive that way, but everybody likes to be on the bumper, you know. NASCAR. Tell me, Frida, when you go and you take driver's education, don't they say you're not supposed to tailgate? I mean, I'm almost ready to go to the mayor and, and have a campaign with billboards. No tailgating in Laguna Niguel. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? It's, it, it is very dangerous, too. I mean, it's, it, it's not just because it's irritating to have somebody on your back bumper. But if you hit the brakes, guess where they'll be? Hi, welcome, front seat. <laughs> we came down here, and sure enough, bang, we got hit from behind. You believe that, Lionel? Boom, you know. Here I talked about it, preached about it, and then I got hit. And then you know what I did? Went out and bought new couches. Thank you, Lord. Left the bump there, though. It's kind of ugly. So my, our girls make fun of our car now. I have a beautiful Ford sitting there. <laughs> this is off the topic, isn't it? Where were we? Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. There's nothing worse than a, a boring preacher. You know, there's, there's one thing worse than a preacher without a watch is a preacher with a watch. <laughs> In other words, it doesn't matter. There's a watch or not, he's going to preach that baby out. I used to, I used to be always worried, I've got to get this over with because people are nervous. I know they probably want to go somewhere, do something, you know. And the Lord kind of had to deal with me and say, no, Scott, preach. Do what I told you to do. Get the word out. Get it out there. Don't be ashamed of preaching the gospel. All right. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of it, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book 
of the law to do them. That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So that no way can you justify yourself before God by being good and doing good. just won't work. You just, there is no one good. There is none that are really good. The Bible says if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of it. You're an offender of all. So the only way we can live, the only way we can be just before God and righteous is to live by faith. And that's why for the first year here at Laguna, Miguel, we preached faith. The Lord said, teach on faith. The just shall live by his faith or her faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen. So we walk and live by faith. And we are no longer under the works of the law. How great is that? Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. There we go. There's the religious man or woman. If they're going to be religious, then they got to follow it all. And guess what? No one can do it. They can try, but they can't do it. And what usually happens to a religious person is they're trying to live by the law, and then they go and tell other people to live like, live like me, do what I do. Follow these rules. Don't read that. Don't go there. Don't watch that. Don't do this. Don't drink that. Don't eat that. That's religiosity. Paul said we were freed from that. And then these people, when they get like this, guess what they start doing? They look around and go, ooh, she did that. He did that. And they begin to become self-righteous. And they begin to judge people. Jesus said, judge no one, lest you be judged. I'm just not, I don't like to judge people. I just, I'm not into that thing. Some people really like, they like to look down on people. I'm better than you. I'm more religious than you. I'm more righteous than you. But there is none that are righteous before God. The just shall live by faith and faith alone. And faith pleases God. When you're walking by faith, he's pleased with you. Not by how good you're doing. He's pleased by your faith in him and his word. Amen? For the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. What's the promise of the Spirit? Anybody know? I'll tell you what the promise of the Spirit is. That you will inherit the world. What did God say to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Out of you is going to come a great nation. And those that bless you, I'll bless. And those that curse you, I'll curse. You are going to be a blessed man. And you know why he was blessed? Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him under righteousness. That's all he did. Abraham just believed God. And God said, that pleases me. Okay, now I'm going to bless you like you can't believe. And you look at Abraham's life, and he was divinely blessed in all aspects. That the blessing, come on, read it with me, of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. That blessing of Abraham is our blessing. We can believe that blessing in our life. A lot of Christians, well, I'm just cursed. I'm, I'm, I'm ruined. My life's not going to count for anything. No. The blessing of Abraham is yours and mine in Jesus' name, and we can claim that and expect it. I got Abraham's blessing. I got Abraham's blessing. Why not? I'll take it. I'm not going to turn it down, right? God wants to bless us in Jesus Christ. And that is the life of grace, the life of favor, the life of blessing. Peter, Peter, arise and eat. (laughs) Christians, arise and eat. Enjoy life. Live life to the fullest in Jesus Christ. Amen. In his spirit. And enjoy life. Every day can be a blessing. Everything we do can be a blessing. Sometimes just a, 
drink of water is fantastic. Cold, crisp, clean. It doesn't really matter what you're doing in life per se. It's that you're doing it to the glory of God. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's finish our story and we're going to close. So Peter gets it. He goes to Caesarea. He preaches to Cornelius and his family and his friends. They come to Christ. They're born again. Now they're in the kingdom of God. The Gentiles have now come into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And then he prays for them. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them, just like it did on the day of Pentecost. No partiality, no favoritism. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you you get it all. No, the Gentiles are getting it too. And the Spirit of God comes upon them. And they magnified God, they prophesied, and they spoke in tongues. (laughs) Same experience came upon them just like it had in the day of Pentecost. Praise God. The Holy Spirit still, he still wants to come upon his people. He still wants to minister and fill us with his presence and his power and his working and his healing anointing, right? Peter said, Acts 10.30, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Sickness is an oppression of the devil. And Jesus went about healing those that were oppressed of the devil. We as the church are to do the same. We're to heal the sick. <laughs>